Salesflare and this is Founder Coffee. Every two weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings, in an intimate talk getting to know the person behind the company. For the seventh episode I had a chat with Russ Heddleston, co-founder of DocSend, the leading document tracking company. After growing up in South Dakota and prior to starting DocSend, Russ had quite a track record. He worked at Microsoft, Dropbox and Conversant and he sold the company to Facebook. I first heard about Russ and DocSend when he was featured on TechCrunch. During our chat we talk about what TechCrunch meant for him, about building a great product, how to hire a VP of sales and how he refused to join the bachelorette when starting off with DocSend. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi Russ, it's uh, great to have you on Founder Coffee. Yeah, thanks, Jerome. Great to be here. You are a founder of uh, of DocSend. Uh, for those who don't know DocSend, what does what does your company do? Uh, DocSend is, uh, in many ways, just a nice way to send links to attachments and see who's reading them and where they forward them. Uh, a lot of founders use it for sending out their pitch decks, but most of our business comes from. You know, sales and marketing teams using DocSend to manage all their assets and track what people are using and not using and seeing how it's performing out there. Yeah. So it basically gives you visibility on the on the documents you send or like how yeah. people are interacting with them. Yeah, exactly. There's just a big correlation between if people engage with the content you send them and if they're going to do business with you. Um, and in some, in many cases, it's also security uh, that people are worried about. Don't forward this to others. Um, and then in other ways, it's just a very easy way to find and send things in DocSend. Uh, so there's a lot of convenience baked into it as well. Yeah. What What are some of the the, the common success stories people have with DocSend? Uh, I mean, there are probably a few flavors of success stories that people will have. Um, I mean, one of my favorite ones is uh, from from a, a company, the, the New York Times, where one of the sales people mm-hmm. after they started using it came in and she's like, I just sold a million dollar deal. And the marketing team <laughs> was like, how did you do that? And then she's like, well, instead of sending my 400 megabyte PowerPoint attachment, <laughs> that's what they were doing before. So I sent my DocSend link out and I could see that the agency read through it and that was nice. But then I could see the agency forward it to the client and the client read through it because they're they're selling uh, you know advertising. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's a you know, client out there, a, a brand buying that ad space. So she could see who at the, at the brand read through it. And so she called them up. They said, yeah, why don't you come in and give us a pitch? And when she showed up for the pitch, she already knew who around that table had read through her proposal and for how long. Because uh, mm-hmm. the docs will actually, you know, show you the name and face and LinkedIn of, of the people who are reading the content. Uh, and so she actually like already knew how to work the room. Um, and she asked all the questions of the person who had read it the most, and that person sold the rest of the room on them. And it's a great, great story. Uh, I mean, one of the earliest success story was me with sending off one of our first docs and links to a potential investor. And the very first page of the deck was the founder, the founder page. And I have two co-founders, we're all with the Stanford and like computer science, and uh, you know, we're a good founding team. Uh, and so the person opened the deck, um, my email didn't say what Doxon was doing. I just said, Hey, uh, you know, here, here's the deck with, let me know if you, you'd like to meet. And so he got to the first page, um, and then didn't go beyond that. And I could see that in the data, but he responded back saying, Hey, I love what you're working on. I can't wait to hear more. Uh, you know, let us know what works for you. And it's like, there's no way you could know what we're working on. It's very ironic. that one of the first times I sent a doc, I'm like, I caught someone in a lie. Not necessarily that that was a very important one. What was more important is he did forward that link on to, you know, one of his partners at the firm. But, you know, when I caught, with, caught up with that person, I, they thought it was a pretty funny story as well. So Yeah, that's funny. So, so you mentioned you you all went to uh, Stanford. This, it, did you start this right after university or or... Uh, is this, uh, did you do something in between? I feel like I've done a lot of things in between. Um, so I'm from South Dakota originally and, mm-hmm. uh, came out to, to California for college and, um, it wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't into software engineering before South Dakota doesn't really have any of it, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. more, more of like a farming state. Uh, but you know, Stanford's great for computer science and this whole ecosystem of companies there. So I got kind of swept up into it, but I've worked in a bunch of companies, um, over the years. I was 2006 undergrad at Stanford and I did a master's there as well. 
but you know, I interned at Microsoft uh, while I was an undergrad. I also interned at Trulia uh, when there were only five or six people there, Asami and Pete. So I got to see that, you know, I was just there for six months as a software engineering in- intern. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran the engineering uh, at a company called Graystripe um, for a few years out of Stanford directly, uh, a mobile ad network uh, that got bought by ValueClick that got rebranded to Conversant. I was actually out at Harvard Business School and interned at Dropbox and then started another company called Pursuit uh, that was talent acquired by Facebook. And then I left Facebook to start Docsend um, almost five years ago. So Docsend is definitely the longest I've actually worked on anything in one continuous span. Yeah. So did the spark for Docsend come when you were at Facebook or? Um, no. Um, so when I started the, the last company, Pursuit, um, I think we jumped in a little bit quickly. I also had two co-founders who are awesome guys. Uh, and um, Nick and Lewis, uh, also software engineers, uh, both from Trulia, actually. And we, we basically, a year into it, realized some stuff that we should have thought about at first. And so mm-hmm. when starting Docs, and uh, we actually spent quite a few months interviewing people and, and researching it before, before we started the thing. The original inspiration was really to get rid of attachments. Because uh, mm-hmm. historically, there there are kind of two use cases for attachments. One was I'm going to email a thing to you so you can edit it and then send it back to me. And you know the Dropbox, Box, Google Drive, those solutions got rid of that uh, by you know putting in this kind of collaboration layer. Um, you know I love I love Google Docs. It's awesome. You don't have mm-hmm. to email back and forth attachments. You can work on something collaboratively. It makes sense. But the other use case for attachments is sending them externally to people when you're not collaborating. It just need to explain something to you and it's better to send you, you know, a deck or a video or like, you know, like some, some reusable asset. And so Docsend was really trying to get rid of that use case. You know, it's just frustrating to see how many attachments are sent when you know, there are just hundreds of ways to not send an attachment. <laughs> and yeah. so that was a, a fun, a fun research trip. Basically, um, I, I did my master's at Stanford in human computer interaction. It's actually a really fun degree. And, you know, like one of the, mantras that they have, or at least I took away from it was that, you know, there's lots of software, software like behaves exactly how you code it. It's getting Mm -hmm. adoption of the software. And are you solving a real problem that's much harder to solve for? Yeah. Um, And and so that, you know, is definitely the case with the problem that Docsend is solving. It's like, yeah, sure, there are other solutions. But the question is like, well, why aren't they being used for this? Yeah, um, and so that's, that's the research we did before before jumping in and, and building enough conviction to want to you know build out Docsend. Yeah, in in terms of adoption, I I, I remember reading about you guys uh, first time. I think it must have been in April or May two thousand fourteen um, on TechCrunch. Uh, yeah, did did that make a big difference for you or? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> no, which <laughs> is wonderful, and that was that was some some good public speaking uh, practice for me. But no, <laughs> it, it didn't it didn't really make an impact. Um, I wonder. I'm not sure what types of businesses TechCrunch makes a big impact for. I would mm-hmm. imagine like consumer brands, um, you know, th- things that are like more more media oriented. I don't know for for B two B stuff. You know, they're part of Docsend's revenue is just self-serve inbound, but still B2B. And, you know, we definitely saw like a spike in, in signups before launching there. Uh, you couldn't sign up for Docsend if you wanted to. So we were you know, kind of yeah. forcibly holding back growth. And well, and one of the other reasons for that is that we having Docsend perform is very important. And if, you know, your Docsend link doesn't work as well as an attachment, then you're just going to go back to the attachment. So we, uh-huh. we really like, you know, spent a lot of time building out our, our solution before we, we let people kind of come into it. And then we, we launched it at the, the TechCrunch battlefield. Um, and we did see a spike in signups after that. Uh, but they, they like weren't really quality signups. And, uh, you know, the, the product itself has spread way more awareness um, than, you know, any sort of publicity could. Uh, so when you look at the signup graph, you, you do see a spike and then you kind of see it kind of like drop down again. And then you see it steadily climb and quickly climb way past that spike. Yeah. Um, 
so uh, I, I wouldn't recommend against it. I think it was still something good to do, but I also wouldn't, you know, at least from our experience, it's not like a make or break your company type of thing, which is what they'd like to have you believe, but it's still a really fun event. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but you saw a, a higher adoption after the, there's like a spike in that it returns to a higher level or. Um, it was a spike that returned basically to the baseline, but because we were back to the baseline, almost, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a little, <laughs> okay. little bit up, but it, it it's like um, if you've got organic growth to your company and you do a big marketing stunt, you can think of it in terms of like, well, how many like months of signups is that? Or ideally, it would actually change the slope of the the line of your growth line. Yeah. Um, but it, for for us, it it didn't it, the you know, you couldn't sign up before that. So we're not sure what the, the baseline would have been, but um, most of the, the people who came in uh, and, and checked out docs and you, know, you left again afterwards uh, yeah. and, and didn't become, um, you know, customers or, or even regular users of the free version. Uh, a lot of the, you know, usage just uh, and, and best use cases for docs has come from, from word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it has a viral aspect, I guess, with sending out the attachments. That's right. Yeah, I, there, there hasn't historically been a big PR strategy for Docsend in general, um, and it, it's kind of tough for for B two B companies, uh, you know, to, to have a, a PR strategy. I don't know. I know yeah. fans are impressed, and they're always like, "Yeah, you know, I don't know." <laughs> kind of hard for you. We've done some mm -hmm. research reports that have worked out well for us, um, and so we got a couple more coming out in the next few months. Um, but that's the, the best we're able to do for, for PR. Yeah. Just, uh, spitting out some numbers about how many people are reading what and what, what works, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's actually fascinating stuff. Like if you're a product marketer and you're trying to create content for your sales team, the sales team never tells you what they need. Uh, mm -hmm. well, they tell you what they think they need, but you're, you're the product marketer. Like, I don't know if that's what it is. And so it ends up being this data free zone. Um, and that's very frustrating. So bringing research in, uh, I, I get a kick out of it because it really is you're sharing knowledge and independently of if you use Docsend or even care about Docsend or what it does, uh, you know, knowing these average stats around, well, how long should a case study be? Uh, how often is it read? How many people are, are reading these things? Are right. they worth producing? It, it answers questions that you have that help you be better at your job. Um, and that, that, that definitely makes me happy. Uh, it also has the added benefit of, you know, having a little Docsend logo in this asset that's research that's being sent around. Yeah, right. Back to uh, your backstory. You mentioned you grew up in South Dakota um, and then you made it to California. Was that, a, it, was that because you wanted to start a company or was it just because you, you, you thought of going to a good university? Or? Um, well, my family was in the military uh, while I was growing up. So I was actually born in San Francisco, lived there for like a month okay. or two. And then we moved to Berlin for five years and Denver for five years and then to South Dakota. Um, so I didn't mm -hmm. really uh, have any, you know, uh, uh, allegiance to the state necessarily. And um, I was probably going to go somewhere else for school anyway. Um, yeah, I was actually going to go to University of Nebraska at Lincoln and had a, a full ride there. And there's this awesome program I was really excited about. And then I ended up getting in a, a car crash coming back from visiting there because it was winter. And uh -huh. um, that kind of convinced me, like, maybe I'll go take a look at Stanford. And so <laughs> I went out to visit Stanford. And at the time, I was thinking to myself, like, well, I don't buy name brand jeans. So why would I you know, buy a name brand education? And in retrospect, uh, you know, I'm very happy that I went out to, to Stanford. It's just a wonderful network. Um, and really took me outside my comfort zone. Um, but it was, you know, yeah, mainly because, um, you know, after visiting it and just, you know, asking around, I started to ask around and, you know, there's not that many people from South Dakota who, who go out to Stanford. So it like, wasn't the, I didn't know it was like a thing at the time. Yeah. Talking about name brand education, do you think it's a, it's a good idea if you want to go into startups to go to, um, to like Stanford because you, you build up a huge debt, I guess, a student debt. Yeah. The student debt stuff is really scary. Well, <laughs> Stanford specifically, um, is, there's not really as much a concern around that. Uh, so is a tiny tangent. Uh, they, if you have an endowment and you're a nonprofit like Stanford, you have to spend 5% 
of your endowment every year to continue to qualify as a nonprofit, which is you know very important for these schools mm-hmm. and endowments. And I, I don't know if it was specifically because of this, but Stanford basically needed to spend more money to like make sure we're spending 5% of the nominal year. And, uh, and in any case, what they did do and what's still in effect there is the um, kind of need blind or uh, the, the need blind uh, admission. And so if you can't pay for it, they actually do a very good job of just like not charging you for your education there because they really don't okay. want to saddle students with huge amounts of debt. But that's mm-hmm. definitely not a standard thing. Um, so I don't know how many other schools do that, but it, it is a really wonderful thing that Stanford does. Uh, and that actually allows them to have like a really diverse student uh, body. Um, but yeah, if, if for I, anyone out there, they're wondering about, you know, should I apply to Stanford? Is it worth it if I want to be an entrepreneur someday? I would definitely say apply to Stanford, like no matter yeah. what you want to do someday, even if your parents have no money and you have no money, like you, you they will definitely work with you to figure it out if, if you're able to get in. But um, as, as the onion had a, had a really good post a while back, it was like the, uh, the onion being a joke news network. They're like this year, 0% admissions rate to Stanford. <laughs> it's like every, every year the admission rate goes down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. T- talking about the network, uh, which other known startup founders went to Stanford that you met through that network? Um, well, I mean, Stanford's uh, not huge, but I mean, maybe fifteen hundred uh, graduate a year from there. Um, a, a lot of the people that I know uh, best um, are through uh, a, a program called the Mayfield Fellows Fund, um, and or, sorry, the Mayfield Fellows Program. Um, and they have just 12 students a year and it's basically a work study entrepreneurship, uh, fellowship and, uh, run by, um, uh, Tina and Tom, um, and they're fantastic. And so uh, at the time when I graduated in 2006, there weren't a lot of alumni that had started in successful companies, but, but since then it's actually really turned around. Uh, I think one of the, maybe the most famous example would be, um, uh, Instagram, the, the co-founders were both, uh, alums of the program. Um, yeah. uh, Mike Krieger and Kevin's sister. And so Mike Krieger and I had some classes at Stanford together and, you know, uh, uh, Kevin at Stanford. And so it's awesome to see how, how well that's done and, and such great mm-hmm. exit. And then Steve Garrity and uh, Clara, she, uh, started hearsay social together. That one's done really well. Um, I mean, there, there are a lot of them, uh, more recently cat Lake, um, started, uh, stitch fix, and that's been doing incredibly well. Uh-huh. At this point, there are just dozens of yeah, friends of mine from Stanford who have, have started companies. Um, Harvard, surprisingly, is actually doing quite well on that front uh, also. Um, more and more so lately, a lot of uh, HBS, uh, Harvard Business School alums have, have been off and, and starting things, even though the, you know, <laughs> the general stereotype is that HBS alums only go into you know, investment banking and, and consulting. They, they have been diversifying lately. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing, I guess. <laughs> oh, it's nice to have a network out here in San Francisco. Yeah. When building DocSense, are, are there any startups or founders you look up to? Oh, um, I mean, it, yeah, there's so many different examples. Um, I mean, certainly like Salesforce and Mark Benioff in terms of you know, creating a great like B2B company. And a lot of the things he did were just so smart early on <laughs> and continuing to build that out. Just so impressive. Um, yeah. While I was working at Facebook, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is incredibly impressive. Um, and, you know, for the product that I was managing at the time, uh, Pages, uh, you know, I would go do reviews with, with Mark uh, and also with uh, Sheryl Sandberg. And this spending even a small amount of time with them was just very impressive. Uh, the way Mark is able to, you know, run Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. was very inspiring and, and a great, a great model for, you know, even if you grow a company to that scale, you know, like how do you still connect the dots and make everything work together smoothly and, you know, have the whole thing make sense. Um, so that was, that was great. Uh, yeah. I, and I could, I could go on and on, but, um, yeah, no, no shortage of inspiring um, uh, startup founders and then company leaders. Yeah, for sure. If, yeah. Uh, uh, talking about Salesforce, uh, 
are you are you also following the predictable revenue uh, kind of methodology then or do you guys work oh, in the other Aaron way? Ross predictable yeah. revenue methodology yeah. um I I read that a while ago. Um, the, since I can't say yes for sure, the answer is probably no. Um, yeah. But uh, the predictable revenue side of it. Remind me real quick which which aspect of it you were thinking of. Oh, the 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 kind of way of splitting out different sales jobs, uh, having a SDR as a main. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. And then the hunting is nets versus spears. Yeah. Uh, well, exactly. we basically have two businesses. Uh, one is inbound and self-serve and that's mm-hmm. a great business. Uh, there's really no cost of acquisition. It's just cause doc sends a really easy to use product. It makes sense. Uh, it does what it says it does. And, um, you know, that w- is great uh, as a business. And what that really costed us was really just building a, a usable, it's, um, self-explanatory product. Um, but then the other part of our business is, you know, the predictable revenue uh, uh, outbound model. And so we, we do have uh, a BDR team, we call them business development reps, uh, and they have uh, target accounts. And so, you know, we have a lot of large brands that use Docsend and then uh, in calls, they'll, they'll reference them. They'll just call their competitors and say like, hey, you know, here's how Forbes is using Docsend, you know, like how do you guys, you know, manage content that your sales team is using or whatever. And so then they'll they'll get interest and then set up a, a demo for an AE and then the AE will you know, go through uh, and it's usually more of like a um, a discovery call at first just to figure out yeah. what is their business and you know kind of how you know, Docsend would fit in again coming back to the HCI concept of like the software does exactly what it's supposed to do the question is is it going to be adopted or is it solving a real problem or you know so yeah. you always try to make sure that um, your Docsend is going to be useful at a company. Uh, before we we try to push it further, uh, that's another thing that I've been surprised with. You know, sales teams that that we work with, it, it's very important not to sell what you do to a company that doesn't appreciate it, even if you can sell it to them, because it's going to show up as a churn rate later. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's really totally. bad. So, <laughs> especially you know, as as a startup founder, you 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 want to pick your company your customers carefully so they stick around for a long time. And also, yeah. if you pick your customers poorly. Uh, they might churn, but they also might ask you for random stuff that you don't want to build and it can drag you in a variety of directions. Um, but yeah, no, I think the, the, interest, the predictable revenue stuff is, is great. And, you know, we work with so many sales teams uh, just through Docsend that it's just very widely used now as kind of like a standard setup for, for teams. It's also a great feeder program to be able to bring in, you know, people right out of school, train them on something and then, you know, have a ladder ahead of them where they can climb the ranks and, you know, mm-hmm. eventually be, you know, a CRO. Yeah. You, you mentioned you have two sides to the business, like the pure sales side, let's say, and the pure marketing side on the other. Uh, do you find like having these two sides to the business easy to, to combine or? Oh, sorry, I broke up there. Which, which two sides? The, the, that you have the, like the, the self-service side and the, the more guided sales side to the business. Um, you know, I think the conventional wisdom says that it's a bad idea, um, to have both, or at least that most, you know, big companies start off with one and usually have one that's primary. So if you, uh, want, you know, to take box and Dropbox as examples, you know, box has been primarily outbound sales focused more on enterprise Mm -hmm. deals and Dropbox has been primarily inbound focused and yeah. they both have both business models, but I don't, I don't know what it is from the, the, the filing for, for Dropbox, but my guess is it's probably like 90% kind of self-serve revenue and maybe 10%, uh, you know, sales driven, uh, which, you know, if they're at a billion dollars, it's still like a hundred million from the sales team, but you know, they, they really nailed one business model and then they added the other one on later. Yeah. Um, and so for, for Docsend, um, I mean, there, it's still majority inbound. Um, so I think that, you know, that there's a good chance that that ends up being the, the predominant, um, growth mechanic for us, but having a, an outbound sales team, it's something we're going to have to do anyway. So it, for us, they're almost competing with each other. And the nice thing is that underneath them, the, the technology we built is, is just the same thing. 
Um, mm-hmm. And one of the ways we get such good adoption at larger companies, like if you've got 500 salespeople and you're, you're telling them, hey, use this DocSend thing so we can see what on earth you're sending and make sure you're not sending something incorrect and you, you get all this data back. When, when we try to roll that out there, a lot of the stuff we built for self-serve ends up being very helpful because for those end users at the company, it makes sense. It's just really easy to use DocSend. Yeah. Um, so in, in that sense, we haven't actually built anything that's it, almost everything is overlapping between the two. So it's really more of a pricing and packaging. Okay. Issue. Okay. So you don't feel like you have to split yourself up or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, do you, for, for your business, is there a primary growth mechanic? Is it more, mostly inbound or is it going to be more outbound? Uh, it's, it's, it's inbound for us. We, we don't do sales. So we focus on small companies. Um, it's mostly tech startups, uh, and on the other hand, digital marketing agencies. So, so we don't do sales. Um, we have someone unsupported, which is, which is partly doing sales. Uh, but real outbound sales is not a thing for us. Got it. Yeah. It's great. It, it, I got cost of revenue is definitely higher for outbound sales and then naturally drags you up market talking to larger and larger companies on like selling the million dollar deal. Um, yeah. yeah. And so it, it seems to be as part of a company's DNA that's that set relatively early. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 We, we just find that the, the market of uh, small companies is quite underserved. Uh, most of our competitors like to go uh, up market. Uh, so we really focus on small companies on making it practical for them, uh, making it very easy to use and, uh, software that, that doesn't require a lot of updates, like, like data updates. Um, so that's been our focus and we're not really planning on going up market anytime soon. Um, so it's it. all going to be marketing. Yeah. Talking about, uh, speaking of another, Oh yeah. Go ahead. Tell me. I was going to say, uh, speaking of another you know, company with a great story, um, is Gusto and Josh Reeves is the, the CEO there. He's also another uh, Mayfield fellow and Stanford alum. Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, they had a great strategy where, you know, ADP, as you were saying, takes the upper part of the market. Uh, the lower part of the market's really underserved. And so mm-hmm. they built a wonderful and quite large business just doing SMB, uh, you know, payroll and all the related functionality around. Exactly. Yeah. Around that. But they very intentionally not gone up market. And so, you know, you get to a certain size, you know, you just graduate off gusto, but at least for them, they can build something that is wonderful at what it does and it doesn't have to do everything and they can go up market later if they choose to, but making a business of that part of the market, which is just very underserved, just like a very smart way to go about, um, you know, building out gusto. Yeah. We're, 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 we're consciously deciding to uh, not split up our, our energy. Um, because in the CRM space, um, like the, the lower part of the market and the higher part of the markets have very, very different, uh, expectations. Um, so we, we, we decide to focus on the, the, the small companies and make it very practical for them. When a company comes to us that is bigger and says, we have, we have this specs list, then we're like, okay, this specs list sounds like you need Salesforce. Um, yeah. <laughs> All the check boxes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we, we get that occasionally as well. And then we just come back saying like, no, we don't do anything and uh, any of these things. But we do these other things that you didn't ask about and they're important. And sometimes yeah. people will come back and just like basically change their criteria. Because um, <laughs> uh, sometimes people think they want things they don't. Yeah, in your case, are there any solutions that are more fit for the upmarket companies or... Are you like uh, one of the only ones in the space? Well, we're not in a space. It's it's not a space yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, content management has been historically super fragmented and also just super slow to change. And mm-hmm. it historically has always been attachment based. And so, you know, if you look at like an EMC or an open text or something, yeah. or even like a SharePoint, like we see SharePoint all the time. And SharePoint does a lot of things really, really well. Um, but you know, it hasn't, hasn't changed in a, in a while. I think, you know, docs, is basically, uh, kind of a, a thought exercise and like, if we don't need to send attachments anymore and we can just send links to everything, is that better or worse? And if it's better, like what else can that change for businesses? 
And I think uh, at least our customers are, are realizing that there's a lot of information stored in that content in Got terms it. of who's reading it and how it's performing. And then there's just a lot of like persistent problems that crop up in content management land around like version control and finding things. And so we actually can solve a lot of those uh, problems for companies uh, in, in, a, in a pretty unique way. But I mean, if you're talking about sales and marketing teams, Gartner has a, a report on the sales asset management space, uh, but mm-hmm. it's not an especially large space. And most of our revenue doesn't come from companies that think of Docsend as like a sales asset manager for their for their business. So I think we're we're definitely in a stage where we're kind of defining our our, our own space. Um, yeah. There are within yeah sales asset management even some like larger older companies like Savo uh, that are still mostly uh, attachment based. I would I would say. Yeah. So, so, so in t- talking about space, where do you see your ambitions? Uh, which space are you trying to carve out? <laughs> well, you know, there are all these historical examples of companies that are able to, um, you know, define uh, a new category. So, you know, like for DocuSign, you know, you're kind of carving out like there, there's like digital transaction management. You know, it's <laughs> you know, they're coming up with like marketing and then like defining the space. Because before that, yeah. e-signature like wasn't a space, like wasn't a thing, um, and so they, you know, had to, had to create the space. I think there's a good chance that that you know there's something like that uh, that that Doxen needs to do um, to, to kind of define the space. But for me personally, um, it's it, you know I think I'm mostly a, a product person at heart, and I really like solving problems for companies, especially if they're problems that just aren't solved by other solutions out there. Um, in doing so in a way that, you know, makes sense and is very sticky. Uh, you know, that's just, I just love seeing people use our, our software, probably not dissimilar from, uh, you know, how you're thinking about things for your company, uh, drone, uh, around, you know, building something for an underserved part of the market. Um, yeah. and if you do that, well, you actually do get a lot of inbound and, and word of mouth. Um, and, and that makes for great business. Yeah. Talking about, uh, managing a product building a product is that what what keeps you up at night up at night uh lately or are you are you more busy with other aspects of the business um no we have uh, an awesome director of product management uh justine and so you know I, I i leave that completely in her camp i try to make sure i bring her all the information from the market that i can so I'll, I'll do quarterly meetings with, you know, our marketing and sales and customer success teams and try to um, kind of put all of their feedback together in one spot and, yeah. and rank order it and try to make it a little bit more, uh, you know, data oriented and then present that to the engineering and product teams. Uh, and so then they can make the best decisions based on that information. Because um, yeah. other companies I've worked at in the past, it, it can be frustrating, especially, you know, if, if you're self-serving inbound, that's 100% of your business, then it's a very different um, process for synthesizing information from the market and then, you know, building things based on that. When mm-hmm. you're, you know, for your sales-driven part of the business, you ask the salesperson what they need and, you know, they'll often have, I just kind of, they're not the most data oriented sometimes around like, I need blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, well, yeah. <laughs> how many companies would really use blah, blah, blah? How many times have you heard that? Well, I heard it two years ago last, but I think it's really important. It's like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, is that really what we should bet the company on? <laughs> like, um, so that, yeah, that's worked out well for us as just like a, a product process because whenever someone says blah, 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 maybe blah, blah, blah is really important, but you want to actually take a look at how many times it's been seen, what were the size of those companies, like how important was it to them, and then try to tease out kind of the rank ordering of what you might want to build. I, I spend more time uh, stressing about just, you know, like people and process and, you know, growing docs and, um, you know, we you know, have like a BDR team and, you know, haven't, we're just now in the process of promoting BDRs up through the ranks. But in order to do that, you have to build the ranks. <laughs> you, yeah. have to, you have to define them. What is this new role? How does this new role work? Who are you going after? Like, what's your, you have a quota. It's just, there's so much complication to having people and roles and like trying to build out a lot of that structure. So that, that, that takes a fair amount of time. Yeah. So you're building the organization and spending time on hiring right now or, 
Yeah, yeah, there there are some you know you know roles that we're, we're hiring for. Um, we have an in-house recruiter, which which helps a lot. Um, I think, and I know I would be curious to hear if you you feel the same, but I feel like uh, starting a company, you're it, 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 as you build it out, you're just basically making yourself obsolete over and over again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah. is great. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that's what I keep doing as well. But after a while, you you, you start wondering like what am I going to do in the end? Like, uh, I, I started, for instance, uh, I started very much on the, the sales side and well, product side and the sales side and the marketing side. Uh, then I did the customer service and, and all of these things, step by step, you, you, uh, you delegate, um, and you try to find people that do it better than yourself. Uh, but then, then your role evolves and you always need to you need to like adopt your new role, try to do it as 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 well as you can, and then and then then go for the next thing. And that's really interesting. I think I don't know how you feel about that. I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I find that the areas that I know the most about historically are the ones that are easiest to hire for, or even mm-hmm. promote people into the role because we you know I, I know how that role works. In the areas where I, I don't know a lot about the role, then that can get really tricky. Like we yeah. hired a, a VP of sales um, a few months ago, and I have never worked in sales. I've never had a quota, um, and so you know, we with Doxon we'd have inbound, but they'd be like slightly larger deals, and so you know, we someone we'd sell them, and so you know, I would go off and do that at first, and then it's like, oh, this is I can't be doing a lot. It's like <laughs> I got to hire a couple of salespeople, so I hired a few salespeople, and then. Uh, you know, manage them for some period of time and, and felt very incompetent doing that. But then bringing in a, a sales leader, it was a role that it's very important. And you know, all the people I you know, have talked to and asked for advice on this front have said like, oh, this, you know, it's never going to work out. We're on our third VP of sales, but I think it's really going to work this time. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, with the, you know, that role, I, I decided that I would just, you know, fire myself from the role by doing it for a while. I did it for a while and like really gained some empathy for what is the role. And then I, I interviewed a lot of VPs of sales, even before we were, you know, actually wanted to hire one just to meet yeah. them and figure out like, how does the process work? Like, and because there's so many different flavors for the role, if it's enterprise versus transactional inbound, you know, versus like, you know, multi-decision or multi-stakeholder. Um, and it very, it's just very nuanced in a way I didn't appreciate. And so when we were, yeah. were finally ready to hire a VP of sales, because I felt I'd reached the, my level of incompetency, like trying to manage a bunch of salespeople, um, I actually had a pretty good idea of what I was looking for. And so that really helped in the search for the role. But um, yeah, hiring, especially like leadership is incredibly time consuming because the cost of getting it wrong is huge, uh, both yeah. from an opportunity cost perspective, as well as just from like a, how much money you're spending on it. If you're using an agency or you're, you're doing a retained search or, ugh, yeah. So, you know, people are incredibly important. Have you, yeah. I mean, I imagine it for you as well. It's, um, you know, the people matters a lot, uh, for, for sales players in terms of hiring the right ones. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we we've made mistakes before, and then we revised the hiring processes to really make sure that we hire the right ones immediately, because otherwise you 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 lose so much time. Uh, while you should be building the business, like the team grows and then contracts again, and you need to restart all over. Definitely, and 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 also as a as a as a founder, then sometimes you need to go back and pick up the role again while you're actually planning to do other stuff. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. What are, what are the main skills you as a founder bring to, to DocSend? What do you think is, is really the, the thing you excel at within the company and that, that makes, uh, that, that, that grows the, the company most? Um, well, I mean, kind of coming back to the theme of making myself, uh, routine, routinely obsolete. Um, you know, it, it's, it's probably not a good thing if, uh, as a founder, you know, I, I was the only person in the company that could do something and was instrumental at doing that thing. And mm-hmm. without me, the company would fail. I would, <laughs> you know, it's not, there needs to be some redundancy. And, and then just from a personal happiness perspective, uh, yeah. I, I definitely don't want to be critical path. With anything. <laughs> I would much rather have someone else be doing that. Uh, you know, so 
you know, over the years, I've, I've got a lot of, I'm good at a lot of things. I'm probably not great at very many things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, having a relatively wide skill set is in itself, uh, you know, can be some, something of a rare thing. Um, so for right now at Docs, and probably the most important things that I, I, I do are, uh, really just helping the team work together, uh, you know, make sure mm-hmm. things are, are working cross-functionally as they should. Uh, I mean, certainly representing the company, uh, through like partnerships or, or, you know, going to conferences or meeting other people, um, you know, that it's just something that I, I enjoy and I'm good at. And, you know, people, people respect, uh, the role that I've got at the company or, yeah. I, I can make something happen if, you know, an integration or a partnership or uh, if something makes sense. Um, you know, like we're, we're doing some research with, uh, well, the last two research reports we've done have been with Harvard Business School, which has been great. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, you know, for my connections there. And then going in and, you know, talking to a couple of my old professors and then getting yeah. them on board and then kind of like getting that piece together. Like that would definitely fall in the marketing bucket, but I'm definitely not running marketing for docs and um but you know that was actually very successful for us and just identifying that and spending a bunch of my time to, to get it to happen and then we're doing yeah. another research report uh this time with another uh with an agency uh called the star conspiracy uh out of, out of texas at them and had a great conversation and so you know you know we're kind of sharing the, the burden of like putting together some some research in a in a new report um and, and so things will come up like that <laughs> where, uh, I'll put in time, but it still ends up being kind of a smattering of time across a variety of areas. Is, yeah. is there a particular focus for for you at this point with Salesflare? Is it like 100% sales or 100% fundraising or recruiting or product? For me right now, it's on marketing. Um, that's that's our, that's the main thing that needs to improve right now. So that's where I spend my time, uh, and that's 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 a recurring story. It's always. Where, where we need to improve, I will jump in. I'm kind of, a, I, in soccer, you would call it the libero or something. Like the, the guy that picks up the, the things, uh, picks up the ball where, where it's, where it's uh, left. <laughs> well, someone's got to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if, if you go on, uh, on vacation right now for a few weeks, do you feel like you can leave everything? Uh, or or do, are you still really needed anywhere? Um, you know, I think things would run a lot better than I think they would. <laughs> I, probably, yeah. I think historically I've always thought like, man, I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't like say this, but you know, you, you kind of think of yourself as being important or instrumental or like, how will they get by without me? Um, and it's, it's probably not, <laughs> it's probably just not true. Uh, and so, yeah, I could definitely go on vacation for a few weeks. I, I think, I think everything would be running just fine. Um, yeah. You know, but there there are there are things that require proactive time, or they just won't happen. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I would probably not take up a few weeks, and haven't done so for quite some time, um, because there's always some like project I want to get done. Um, mm-hmm. Like we, as I was describing before, the um, you know what what does the promotion ladder look like for junior salespeople at Docsend? And, yeah. you know, our VP of sales has a lot of stuff going on, but it's really important to me to like, make sure that the first BDR we promoted into an SMB AE role is successful. And so I've actually mm-hmm. just been spending a bunch of my time proactively, like, like, how does that role look? What's the process like? Cause it has to change a bunch of stuff. And so just making sure like that goes well, because if that went poorly, then that would actually be like a pretty big problem. So yeah. I guess coming back to your, if you could you leave for three weeks, like as long as there's nothing during that three weeks where, you know, like someone else, like nothing falls through the cracks, like someone's covering it. And I'm sure yeah. that someone else could cover it. Um, in this case, I, it's been fun to jump in and, and spend more time making sure this works out and kind of take something off the, the VP of sales' plate. Uh, and I, I can contribute in that way, which is good. Um, I assume similar for you, for you guys and, and Salesware, would, would yeah. you actually take three weeks off? I, I, did, I, I did so uh, over the, well, it, it was with Christmas and New Year. Uh, but it was actually the first time that I felt like, okay, things are running without me. Um, because I've, I've outsourced most of the operational things. Uh, so that, that was a really good feeling. Um, mm-hmm. that's great. On the personal funny, side. Funny, oh, uh, a funny, funny story I was just going to say was that yeah, actually right about the time we were starting docs and, um, I, I got a, a phone call from someone and they were like, 
Well, congratulations. Uh, we have great news. We'd like you to fly down to LA for casting. Mm -hmm. As you know, uh, the window will be closing within the next week, but we think you're a really good candidate and we can't wait to have you come in. And I was like, I had no idea what this person was talking about. And I was like, oh, that's great. Could could you remind me a little bit about what we're talking <laughs> about? And she was like, well, like kind of like patronizing. Like, well, as you know, The Bachelorette will start filming on you know such and such a date. I was like, what? As it turns out, my sister had applied me to the the Bachelorette, oh. and uh, yeah, I, I'm very happy in a relationship now. Uh, but at the, at the time, I, I was I was single, um, and it was just it was kind of, it's really random. So uh, after I I, I I was like, I gotta get back to you. I called my sisters and, and more, <laughs> like burst out laughing. He's like, Yeah, I applied you. Uh, but I had to like think about like, could I take off like three months or something? And three months <laughs> is just too long. So three weeks, I can make that happen. But three months, no. Uh, and so I, I did not uh, uh, go on the on the Bachelorette. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a wife and kids now, or? Uh, no, uh, I've got a girlfriend who's awesome. Uh, we, we've been together for for a few okay. years, uh, but not quite to the to the kids stage of life. Yeah. How, how do you manage the the the, the like the the work life balance? Let's say um, that part's been when you know actually great. We uh, like my, my uh, girlfriend works at Pinterest as a as a data analyst, and uh, oh, okay, like last last weekend uh, we were um, in in Sun Valley, Idaho, which is great for some skiing. I hadn't been there before. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna go to Japan for another friend's wedding in a mm -hmm. few weeks for like nine days, which is great. So we usually have like a trip a year that's at least like nine or 10 days together uh, and go run around somewhere. And then um, uh, we we live together as well. It's actually been awesome, especially for kind of like time management. It's like kind of crazy to think about the whole like commuting to see someone thing. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it's actually been great. We've been able to make it work really well. Our jobs are relatively yeah. flexible too. Like if I'm out of the office or to the office, we'll just spend like a couple hours or whatever, like doing doing some work sitting to, yeah. together and then we'll go off and, and do an adventure for the rest of the day or something. Yeah. Uh, is long work, long working hours or? Um, they are pretty long working hours at this point. Um, but that's okay because I enjoy it and it doesn't kind of cut into other things that I would, I would like to do, uh, yeah. in life or trips or travel or that sort of stuff. So I, I definitely enjoy it. I would much rather work more hours on something I enjoy than fewer hours on something I don't. <laughs> yeah. And what do you like to spend your time on when you're not working? Um, both my sisters live in San Francisco. Uh, so we, we get to meet up uh, quite a bit and we'll go like swimming in the bay together, which is actually a really nice way to just kind of de-stress and kind of get into a new environment. It's, it, mm -hmm. it is, it is chilly, but it's not as crazy as people think. Um, <laughs> they're a bunch of like you know 80 year olds that go swimming in the bay every day and if they can do it you know anyone can do it and then yeah you know, we go do like triathlons or, or like races and then uh you know just you know going and exploring and taking trips uh, to, to various places is is always uh, fun that, that tends to fill up a lot of my time i've got a lot of friends who are here in san francisco uh just between all the different companies i've worked at and between different places they've gone for school so there's just never a shortage of like parties and birthday parties and that's <laughs> to keep a yeah. full uh, social calendar where are you living in the bay exactly uh we're in san francisco in the mission district ah okay so yeah is that in the center or uh it, it is yeah it's it's really close to the the bar the kind of the, the transport here so it's you know 15 minutes for me to get into the office and our office in the financial district uh which is actually really nice and clean which is great. Uh, and San Francisco in many areas is pretty dirty and unsafe. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but half our company are women. And so I'd like to keep it that way and make sure our office cool. is a nice, safe area. Yeah. And yeah. Where, where in Belgium are you guys? In Antwerp. That's like uh, the second biggest city of Belgium, about half an hour north of, of Brussels. Um, it's uh, the second biggest port of Europe. Uh, the diamond center of the world and uh, the headquarters of Salesflare also. It's also what it's known <laughs> right, for. Right up there in terms of uh, accomplishments of Ant Antwerp. Yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Founding the city of Salesflare. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> in general, it's not so much of a, a startup city, although it's, um, it's developing real fast. Um, the city of Antwerp has won uh, a world prize last year uh, for its... Um, 
it's public work to make Antwerp a, a better city for startups. So it's really awesome all the things they're doing. There's a, we actually started Salesflare here in the, in a in a huge um, uh, startup um, incubator uh, in the in the, the the actually the first skyscraper in Europe uh, is a is a startup incubator. Uh, and, but we have our own office space now with uh, with a few other startups, which is really nice. Uh, out out in the north where the the port port of Antwerp began, uh, where Napoleon had his warships to attack uh, huh. uh, the UK back in the days. That's uh, just next to that <laughs> is our office. Yeah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Slowly wrapping up. Uh, what's the latest good book you've read, and uh, why did you choose to read it? Um, oh, latest good book I've read. Um, Oh man, there are always a lot. Uh, I, I reread uh, Cialdini's um, Influence recently, and mm-hmm. that was actually great. Like those those things are so timeless. Uh, just the just how how persuasion happens. Um, it, it, so I would I would highly highly recommend uh, that. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. And then on a slightly different one, uh, I've read Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything recently, which is not so much a work-related book, but really a really good history of nearly everything. And that yeah. was also a, a, fun, a fun read I'd recommend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's sometimes good to read broad, uh, like like different books, not business books, to, to get inspiration, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because... Uh, in the end, our, our jobs are broad as well. Um, is there anything you wish you'd have known when you started out? Um, well, I think it's important to make sure you have enough conviction to keep working on something for quite a while, because if you're successful, it's going to just keep going. So, <laughs> yeah. And then make sure you have co-founders uh, that you really trust and get along with well, because it's kind of like a, like a marriage. Um, like they're always going to be big equity holders and the number of companies that explode because of founder, you know, uh, differences is really high. So (laughs) make sure you, uh, just, just like with marriage, make sure you pick your startup founders with, uh, care and consideration. (laughs) That's so true. All right. Thanks uh, for being on uh, founder coffee. Uh, uh, like we do for everyone, we'll send you over a, a little package of Founder Coffee in the next few weeks. It's actual coffee, uh, so you can enjoy that at home. Great. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Looking forward to catching up soon. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.